Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 4, verse number 1. It reads like this. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter had came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, then command these stones to become bread. But he answered and he said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up to the holy city, and he set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, then throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, It is written, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. And again the devil took him up on an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. I pray that you will bless it today. I pray that you would give us um, the wisdom and the knowledge from the Holy Spirit to take this word and make it be applied to our lives. Today I bind the adversary, any plan that Satan would have to come and steal, kill, and destroy this word that would be sowed upon the hearts of your people. Today we thank you, Lord, that this is good ground. And I pray that because it's good ground, this word would produce 30, 60, and 100 fold. I pray right now, Lord, that you would cause us to, to hear and listen and to receive everything you have for us today. And we'll give you all of the glory that's due to your name and your name alone. In Jesus' holy name, amen and amen. Praise the Lord. You can be seated this morning. Well, one more good time. Good morning. Good morning. I am so glad that you're here. First of all, I would like to apologize I would like to apologize that you guys have had to endure the frigid frost of this crazy winter. It broke out the day before we left, and I, I will tell you that um, we had to endure um, massive elevation change and 90-degree uh, weather. In fact, I came home peeling from a sunburn. So the moment that actually we got off the plane last night into the... Um, into the terminal runway, I said, Toto, we're not in Kansas anymore. It was cold. It was cold. If we had any worry of falling asleep last night driving, all we had to do is roll the window down for about 30 seconds, and we got a breakthrough, amen, because it was cold. But we're very sorry that you guys have had to do that, and, and uh, but pray you stayed warm. Again, want to say thank you to everybody holding the fort down. My wife did a good job. Uh, granted, the circumstances last week, come on, would you give her a hand? And I'm excited for her and to see her growing in her gift. This morning, I want to continue to talk about digging deeper Last week, we talked about the ministry of prayer and how the expectancy of prayer. Where when we went off to pray, when Blonnie was sharing with me her, her notes and what she had studied, and she said something I had never even thought about. Jesus said, when we pray, pray our Father. Man, we're connected to a family, amen? That's so powerful. And uh, so I enjoyed that message last week. But today, I want to talk to you a little bit differently. I want to dig a little bit deeper for a sake of lack of better words. And I want to talk to you about being armed against adversity. Armed against adversity. You know, 
January is one of those months where oftentimes we're setting goals for ourselves. We're setting New Year's resolutions. I want to lose weight. I want to save money. I want to start college. I want to get a new job. I want to find a husband. I want to find a wife. Hello, somebody. Uh, Hopefully some of your New Year's resolution is not to get rid of one. Amen. Hallelujah. The Lord bless your marriage in 2024. I pray that today. But uh, this morning, I want to talk to you about a different thing that all of us should have a goal of, and that is getting more foundational in the Word of God. Getting more foundational in the Word of God. One of the things that I do love about the new year is that within Christian circles, oftentimes there's an emphasis in reading the Word. And not just reading the Word, but, but reading through the Scripture. I think it's vitally important that all of us as Christians, you may have been a Christian for a long time, or maybe you're a brand new believer. Well, today's the day for you to start. I would, I would encourage you highly to start a Bible reading plan, to read through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Now, you don't have to do it all in a day or in a couple of weeks. You can actually span that through the year or a year and a half because the point is not how fast you do it. It's about what you receive and what you retain when you read it. But there's importance in us reading through the Scripture because the Bible, the way that it's organized and the way that it's laid out, it tells a story from Genesis to Revelation. And for you to really understand the New Testament, you need to understand the Old Testament. Even though we're not under the Old Covenant, we're not under the 613 laws that that the Israelites came up with from God, that, you know, God gave them a couple and they began to keep expounding on the laws. Um, We're not under those laws, yet it is important for us to understand what the patriarchs of our faith went through, what David went through, what Moses went through. In fact, the Apostle Peter said it like this. He says, we learn those things because they help those of us to whom the end of the world has come upon. They're ridding for our example. And so it's important for us to know, to understand the Word of God in its entirety. For you to fully understand the New Testament and what Jesus has done, you need to understand the Old Testament. For you to understand grace, you need to understand the New Testament. And so I would encourage you to start a Bible reading plan whenever you can. If you say, Pastor, I don't know how to do that, I don't know where to start, Grab a hold of me. Grab a hold of Miranda, Miss Tina. There's several people in this church. Brother Dwayne, he teaches through the Bible in his class. There are people that can help you get on a trajectory for you to be able to know how I can start going through the Bible so that I can grasp something for God's Word. The reason why you need to do this is because it is the sword of the Spirit. Somebody say the sword of the Spirit. You need to know the Word of God. The Bible tells us in the Old Testament, here again referencing the Old Testament, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. My people perish for a lack of knowledge. They used to tell us uh, in grade school, you know, they had little sayings, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. That's a lie. Hello. But there's another one that they used to say, what you don't know can't hurt you. That's also a lie. What you don't know is killing you because the enemy operates in our realms of ignorance. Listen, the Bible says that that revelation by the Word of God is actually how we fight. That's why the Apostle Paul, when he's dealing with the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 11 and 12 with the gifts of the Spirit, he starts off and he says, brethren, I would not have you be ignorant 
ignorant concerning spiritual things. This morning, my goal is to put some tools in your hand so you know how to be armed against the day of adversity. Because let me tell you, mark it down. It's not a prophecy. It's not a negative confession. It's just the reality of the fallen world we live in. It's not if trouble comes. It's when trouble comes. If Jesus went through trouble and the apostles went through trouble, you and I are going to go through trouble in this life, and we need to know how to fight steadfastly fast, plant our feet upon the solid rock of the Word of God, and know how to fight our battles. Is anybody with me this morning? It's important for us to do this. As I was preparing for this message, I was thinking about our military, all of the training that they go through, whether or not they're Army, Navy, National Guard, the Marines, the Coast Guard, all of the various branches of our military, they first go through an initiation process. And they do this to weed out the weak ones. They, they, um, they make them go through sleep deprivation. They go through physical training. They wake them up in the middle of the night, and they make them run mile after mile. And they make them do various things to test their endurance. And once they've gone through all of the things that they go through, then they go through their weaponry training. These military uh, personnel are, are trained on different types of weapons and, and how they shoot and how to clean them and how to disengage them and how to break them down. And they become very, very familiar with how to utilize these weapons because many of them are deployed into places that are very hostile. Uh, such as our military who was sent into Iraq and those who've been sent into Vietnam, those people who uh, we honor because in our free nation that we live in, they have sacrificed their lives, many of them, so that we might have the freedoms. But they're trained on these weapons. And not only are they carrying their weapons, but they're walking around dodging landmines, watching where they step because everywhere they go, their adversary has set a trap for them. Now, let me tell you something. The, the, those military soldiers, they have to get in a certain mindset. They've got to get in a mindset of war. They've got to get in a mindset of survival. They, they can't afford to be too lax. They can't afford to be joking around. Listen, the book of Ecclesiastes tells us very plainly that there is a time and a season for everything. There's a time to laugh. There's a time to cry. There's a time to be born. There's a time to die. There's a time to plant. There's a time to harvest. There's a time to, uh, to go to war. The Bible talks about these things. And in the life of a soldier, when a soldier is in the mindset of war, they got to be very serious. How many of you know it would be tragic if two soldiers were too friendly with each other as they were, as they were disembarked out into the field and they were waiting behind enemy lines? They are assigned to go into enemy territory and to eradicate their enemy. Because in the game of war, it is survival of the fittest. It is win or die. Somebody is going to win and somebody is going to lose. And so they're trained to be focused, laser focused, laser ready. But how many of you know that uh, they can have all of these weapons, right? They can be locked, they can be loaded, they can be ready to go. But if they are distracted in the middle of battle, it can be very dangerous. Oh, come on, somebody. It can be distracting as 
maybe you and your buddy are joking about your day and you're telling jokes to each other or maybe you're talking about the weather or things of that nature and and all of a sudden how tragic would it be that behind enemy lines if you were so casual in your day of battle that all of a sudden your enemy rushes against you and before you even had time to think about it you're already laid out your gun was not loaded it was not in position your mind was not on it and just in a split second what happened the enemy took them out. Friends, let me tell you something that is a gruesome picture. It is a brutal picture, but it's also a picture of believers every single day. I believe that the majority of Christians in America are extremely distracted in the middle of battle. We are in a battle for our nation. We're in the battle for our families. We're in the battle for the soul of America. And all the while, the church of Jesus Christ in the West is worried about this and they're worried about that. And all the while, the enemy is taking territory in our camp. I'm here to declare to you today that it is time to wake up and to arm ourselves for battle. The day of adversity is not coming. It is here and you and I have to be ready to fight because if not, our enemy will carefully and strategically come all the way into our camp and do what he does the best. But I declare today that you and I are going to be ready in the day of adversity so that the enemy does not overcome us in a moment of weakness. Come on, somebody. We're going to be armed with adver- against adversity so we can fight in that evil day. You and I are in a fight. The Christian life is not a cruise ship. So many people are acting like they're on a cruise spiritually. They've got their flip-flops and their Bermuda shorts on and their, and their tropical tree uh, button-down t-shirt. They've got their feet propped up by the celestial pool of life and they're kicking up in the sunshade and they're acting like they're on a spiritual vacation because some preacher lied to them and told them that all you've got to do is give your life to Jesus and all of your problems will be over. Listen, friends, there have been many of a military recruiter tell people, listen, we're probably not going to war. Just sign up and get your college benefits only to find out nine months, 12 months later they were deployed into a place they didn't think they were getting ready to go. Friends, I'm telling you, I want to tell you the truth today. It is wartime, and I don't want any casualties in the infantry of God. You and I have to be ready to assault our adversary because he's coming like we never dreamed of. The Bible tells us that in the last days that, that knowledge is going to increase, and it also tells us that along with knowledge increasing, it's going to tell us that there's going to be gross darkness and there's going to be weapons of warfare that's released against us. But here's what I'm glad to tell you. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. But you and I have to position ourselves to fight this spiritual fight. It's important for us to do so. I want to reiterate some of our scripture today. Matthew chapter 4, turn over there with me if you don't have it already, and let's look together. There are some amazing thoughts that are pulled straight from this passage. In fact, I'm going to be giving you four of them today. Matthew 4, verse 1 through 11, let's read it again. It says, and then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. And he answered and he said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of a temple. And he said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, It is written, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. And again the devil took him up to a seemingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, uh, and, and he said, if I will, all these I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. This morning, taken from Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 through 11, the very first point that I want to give to you from the scripture is this. Number one, you need to brace yourself for trouble. You need to brace yourself for trouble. Now, listen, there are several different kinds of trouble that come in a person's life. There are storms that happen. Uh, when Jesus was coming over the side of the, uh, the, the river there in Mark chapter 4, Mark chapter 5, the Bible said a vehement storm rose up against them. Uh, and the reason why is because Jesus was about to go and deliver the man of Gadara who had legions of demons on the inside of him. And that was a demonic storm. That was a storm that Jesus rebuked. And the Bible says the storm, listen, then there are storms of our own doing. Sometimes uh, we reap the seeds that we have sown. How many of you know that is a spiritual law? The Bible says, be not deceived. God is not mocked for whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Oftentimes we're rebuking the devil for seeds that we have sown. Uh, and then other times we reap, um, spiritual, we reap storms rather that are created by other people. Sometimes we're in trouble because of other people. The apostle Paul found himself in places like that often, imprisoned and chained because of other people's decisions. But rather the circumstance or the reason the rhyme or reason is all the same. Number one, we got to learn to brace ourselves for trouble. Listen, contrary to popular belief, Jesus did not live a life of ease and comfort. Neither did he promise us one. The Bible says that all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. They'll go through tribulation, not the great tribulation, not the seven-year tribulation, but just the tribulations of life. The Bible says we're going to go through those things. Now, this is important for us to recognize. Um, the Bible says in, Mark, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, and then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested, tempted by the devil. Now, it wasn't the Jesus wasn't tempted by God, but rather he was tempted by the devil, but it was the Spirit of God that led him into the wilderness. Now, I think this is interesting because whether or not you take this account or you take the account of the gospel writer Luke, what we find is that this particular instance came on the backs of Jesus, one of the greatest things that happened to him outside of the cross. Now, there are three very 
prominent things that we see in Scripture for, if you count the Mount of Transfiguration, that happened in Jesus' life. Number one was his birth. That was miraculous. Number two was the death, burial, and resurrection. Number three was his uh, baptism experience. Number four would be the Mount of Transfiguration. But this particular instance right here came on the heels of, of the, one of the most significant things. It was Jesus' baptism. I would call this the apex of the mountain experience. He is um, anointed by the Holy Spirit. A voice speaks from heaven, said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And I'm telling you, he's baptized. It's a powerful moment. I would say it's pretty powerful. Amen. It's something that would mark his ministry. I would call it a mountaintop experience. Anybody agree with that? A mountaintop experience. I mean, if, you, if that happens in your ministry, man, you can go home and say, I've had a good day. Jesus had a mountaintop experience. But I want you to know the very next page of Scripture in chapter 4 tells us that the Spirit led him into the wilderness. Here's what I want to tell you today. There's, there's situations in life where you can find yourself on the mountaintop one day, and you can find yourself in the valley the next day. But I've got good news for somebody. The God that's the God. God on the mountaintop is the same God that's the God in the valley. The same God that's with you in the victory is the same God that's going to be with you in the struggle. The same God that's going to allow you to reign with him is the same God that's going to dance in the rain with you. I'm telling you that we serve a God who is faithful in every season, every situation, but as the believer, we need to learn to brace ourselves for trouble. See, Jesus was God in flesh. He was the perfect Lamb of God. He was the express image of the Father. Jesus said, in fact, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Paul wrote to the church of Colossians, he said in Colossians, he says, he is the express image of the Father. He is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He was the Son of God who was without sin. Yet he finds himself in trouble. I think that's important for us to note this morning because it doesn't matter sometimes what we've done. Sometimes we're not in trouble because of what we've done wrong. Sometimes we're facing trouble in our lives because of what we're doing right. Sometimes the will of God brings a level of adversity with it. And some of you have been struggling in your life wondering, God, why am I going through this test? Why am I going through this struggle? Why am I going through this hardship? And you've received such horrendous teaching from people in the past, whether or not it be books or television, that, that they've told you that if you have any trouble in your life, it must be because there's some sin that you've got hidden. It must be something that you're dealing with. That's why this is happening. That's why that is happening. But I want you to know something this morning. Sometimes adversity comes because because we're in the middle of the will of God. Sometimes it's the adversary and all of Satan's army that's rallying up against us because he knows what we're doing for the kingdom of God. It happened to Jesus, and it also happened to the Apostle Paul. Paul wrote these words. He said, a great and an effectual door has been opened unto me. But there are many adversaries. Paul knew that for him to do what God had called him to do, there was going to be a fight on his hands. 
But it was the same Paul who knew that, who wrote these words, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down every imagination and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Paul knew that he wasn't fighting for victory, but he was fighting from a place of victory. It was an offensive fight, not a defensive fight. He braced himself for trouble. He said, I know that if I walk through this door, the enemy's going to be ready to fight me but what he doesn't know is what doesn't kill me only makes me stronger I'm like the energizer bunny Paul I believe he said in his heart those who take a licking just keep on ticking and Paul said you can stone me and God will raise me back up I will fight until I have no more fight left on the inside of me friend listen don't you give up in the middle of a fight you stand firm you stand flat footed you stand like a child of God is supposed to stand and spit in the face of your adversary and say devil listen no weapon formed against me shall be able to prosper and no tongue that rises against me will be able to condemn listen I'm telling you right now he didn't say the weapon wouldn't form he just said it wouldn't prosper hello I'm so glad that what the enemy designed to take me out will only be used as a testimony to be able to have victory for my God because listen he told us to be ready for the battle when you're doing God's will, don't expect that you just have no trouble. Sometimes that adversity comes because of what you're doing right. The will of God. The will of God. The will of God. Jesus finds himself directly in the will of God, in the wilderness, to be tempted by the devil. Isn't it amazing the timing of Jesus' temptation? The timing of Jesus' temptation came in seasons of dedicated prayer and fasting. We pray and we fast to get direction and to get clarity and to get closer to God. And isn't it amazing that the enemy struck at the opportune time? There's no, there's no rhyme or reason today while some of you are having trouble reading your Bible, while some of you are trying, having trouble trying to fast. It, 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 listen, the same enemy that Jesus fought is the same enemy trying to fight yourself. But now that you have knowledge, knowledge is power. Because when you know what's going on and you realize it's not just, I'm not just crazy, I'm not just making this stuff up, but I have a real devil that's trying his best to discourage me, you can brace yourself for the trouble that's coming and be ready to fight against it the second thing that we see not only do we brace ourselves for trouble but we need to learn to depend on God's word in adversity we got to learn to depend on God's word in adversity listen if we want to learn how to fight the fight of faith we need to see how Jesus fought the fight of faith Jesus fought the devil not by screaming at him I'm amazed at the people in the world today that think the devil responds to them screaming at him. Let me tell you something. God nor the devil is moved by the volume of our voice. The spirit world doesn't work that way. I've known people to have great authority in the realm of the spirit and they be shouters. I've also known people to have great authority in the realm of the spirit who just whisper the name of Jesus. It's not in the volume of our voice, but the authority of our revelation of what we're standing upon. 
And Jesus, in the middle of his adverse time, he, listen, he took the word of God and he spoke it in authority in the middle of adversity. Let's, let's go look at it right here. Let's go look at it right here. In, in, we won't read it all again, but in Matthew chapter 4, when we're looking, the, the enemy comes and Jesus is fasting, right? Jesus is fasting. And listen, by the way, I don't want to upset nobody. Fasting is not eating. Hello. It's not eating. The enemy has plummeted the church by causing us to, to redefine what fasting is. It's amazing to me. We get upset at the world when they redefine marriage, but we're okay with each other when we redefine fasting. Maybe that's why there's no power in the church, because people are like, well, I'm giving up Facebook for 30 days. I'm fasting. No, no, no. If you've not gone hungry, you've not fasted. Fasting means to cover the mouth in the Greek and the Hebrew, to cover the mouth. And listen, Jesus is fasting, nothing in his mouth. And the enemy comes and says this, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. How did the enemy come? He tempted him by his flesh. 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 See, the Bible says there are basically three categories of sin or temptation. Every sin, every level of debauchery, everything we can think of, you can boil them down. Just like Jesus said, if you want to take the commandments, you boil it down into two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love people. You can boil those, all those commandments down to two. Jesus said, basically, or the gospel writer said, you can do the same thing when it relates to sin. There's three categories. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Everything falls within those three categories. And now the enemy comes and he's, he's testing Jesus in the lust of the flesh. See, we think lust of the flesh is simply sexual, but sometimes it has to do with just the carnal nature of man, which is eating. Jesus was fully God, fully man. He knew how to eat a good meal. That's why he ate with the disciples. He broke bread with them. They cooked fish. They did all types of things. But he had set himself apart to not eat. And what happened? The enemy came and he said, if you're the son of God, I know you're hungry. Just, just turn these stones into bread. And what did Jesus do? He didn't cry. He didn't shout. He didn't do a Jericho march. He said, no, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus took the attack that was coming against his life and he took the word, which by the way, he was the word and is the word, but he used an example for us and he stood in authority against it with the word of God. Satan, you're coming to me with this lie. You're coming to me with this temptation. But I'm going to tell you what the Word says. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then we go a little further. Then the devil took him up to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said, if you're the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. He said, for it is written, his angels shall give charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. And here's what Jesus said. Uh, he said, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Satan tempted him. He said, if your God's really real, jump off of here. Jump off of here, and if, if he's really God, he'll save you. And Jesus said, it is written, devil. You shall not tempt the Lord 
your God. And then the Bible says that he came to him again. Verse 8, again the devil took him up to an exceeding high mountain. And he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. I think it's important for us to notice that Jesus is facing some of the same primal temptations that those of us in this room have gone through, but even back into the Garden of Eden. Because the first Adam lost his dominion. By sin, he gave it over to God, and, or he gave it over to Satan, the fallen one, the serpent. The Bible does call our adversary the God of this world. And Jesus had not yet fully, fully wrought redemption in the way that we know it yet. And the cross had not happened and all of that had not been established just yet. And the enemy comes and he tempts him. And he says, you know, you see all these kingdoms? Satan said, they're mine. He said, if you'll just worship me, I'll give them to you. And what did Jesus say? He said, no, 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 no. He said, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And I want you to notice the next verse here in verse number 11. It says, and then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and ministered to him. Leave that verse up there for a second. This morning, I'm taking a moment to tell you that in the middle of your trial, in the middle of your trouble, in the middle of adversity, we've got to learn to depend on God's word. We've got to learn to depend upon God's word. It is God's word that's going to get us through our circumstances. Tests, while we're in the middle of them, Oftentimes they feel timeless. But I want you to know that tests are not timeless. Whether or not you're in college, high school, trade school, that instructor gives you a test, there's a time limit on it. You may have two hours, you may have to the end of the class period, you may have to a certain time, but there is a time limit on the end of that test. Well, I want you to know something, that in the life of Jesus, Jesus fought against the test of the devil with the Word of God, and that test came to an end. I want to send a word of encouragement to somebody who's in this room today. Maybe you feel like you have been going through the struggle. Maybe you feel like it has lasted forever. Your life is just rain clouds and thunderstorms and tornadoes. And it seems like you've not been able to get the victory. I'm here to tell you, you keep standing on the word. You keep resisting the devil. You keep telling him to get out of your house. You keep telling him to get out of your children's bedroom. You keep telling him. And guess what? Your test has an expiration date on it. And it's sooner than you think. Hello, somebody. Listen, he will leave you. And when when that test is over, the Lord has angels that will just come and minister to you. Hallelujah. I'm thankful for the grace of God. In the middle of our adversity, we got to learn to depend on the Word of God. But let's go a little further today because that's great and all. But the problem is, 
You can't use the sword if you don't have a sword. The third thing I want to talk to you about this morning, if you're going to arm yourself against adversity, number three, you've got to establish your life on God's unshakable word. The reason why Jesus was able to fight the devil with the word of God is because not only was he the word, but he knew how to use the word. The prophet said, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. The enemy comes in your house with sickness. He comes in your house with poverty. He comes in yourself with marital strife. He comes in your house with, with confusion and all types of things. And listen, if you don't have the arsenal of the word of God in your heart to be able to fight, the enemy has legal, legal ground because you, you're, he's operating in the realm of your ignorance. Listen, the enemy of our soul really only has access to the areas of our life that we give him. Now, he can, he can, he can tempt us. He can test us. But he's not going to win unless we open up the, the threshold of our life and there's a chink in our armor. But how many of you know we're supposed to armor ourselves with the armor of God? The righteousness of God, faith and truth and, and all of the things that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus and he told us to, to arm ourselves with the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit. We're to take those and he used them against our adversary. But I'm afraid today that many of us are walking into everyday life battles, not wearing our armor. Can I tell you something? Listen closely. If a United States soldier is not wearing his armor in the time of battle, it's not because he wasn't issued it. It's because he chose not to use it. Can I tell you that as a Christian, it's not that we don't have the tools to fight our battles. It's that we've chosen not to use them. We've chosen not to use them. Let, let me just share with you something. We are privileged. We're a privileged people. I have a video. I can show it to you one day. The underground church in China, many of them would love to have a Bible of their own. Many of them do not have a Bible of their own. Their Bibles are smuggled in. And listen, I know that China is not a third world nation. They're technologically the leader of the, of the world. All of our electronics, our chips from our cars, our Apple watches, our Samsung, every, all of that, probably the clothes on your back came from China. But listen, their government is so anti-Christ, anti-gospel, all of their internet's filtered out. They can't download the Bible app. They can't get on a gospel website. They can't do any of that. And so listen, people have to smuggle in Bibles across the border. People have to smuggle them in and smuggle them in on USB drives and things. And some of them wish they had a Bible of their own. But some of them, all they have is maybe a few chapters in the Gospel of John. And maybe their, their, their mate, somebody in their church, they have a, a, the next couple chapters. And they take the Bible and they write it down or they tear it out and they distribute it. And so they cherish it and they value it. 
They cherish it and they value it so much that many of them memorize whole books of the Bible because they don't know if they'll ever get a copy of their own. So when they take it, they digest it, and they learn it. It's true. I have a video that was released from the underground church where a box of Bibles were smuggled in and they almost broke each other's necks getting a copy of it. But you and I have access to almost every Bible in every translation. Many of us in this room, we have the ESV, the NASB, the King James, the New King James, the New Living, the Living. And if we don't have all of those, we have study Bibles, maybe Schofield, maybe the Fire Bible, maybe the Dakes Bible. And then we've got the Bible app that's got all the translations that we can download and listen. How many of us take that seriously? And how many of us take that for granted? One of, my, one of my friends writes, he takes worldly songs and he rewrites them and puts Christian lyrics to them in a parody style. There's an old country song, and I don't remember who sang it, but the song, was, song goes something like this. It's a song about wine. It said, there might be a little dust on the bottle, but don't let it fool you about what's inside. And he rewrote that song, and he said, there might be a little dust on the Bible, but don't let it fool you about what's inside. And I got a question today. I know I can't sing. That's not my gift. Hallelujah. But let me tell you something. How many of our Bibles have dust on them? How many copies do we have? And we don't take the time every single day to, to learn from the truths of God's Word. And, and not just learn it, but learn it in the context in which it was written. So that on the day of adversity, we have something to stand upon. Listen, the reason why Jesus was able to fight the devil in the day of adversity is because he had established his life on the Word of God. The Bible tells us there's a parable in the, in the Gospel of Matthew about the storm that came. And there were two houses. There was a house that was built upon the rock. And the Bible says that when the storm came, that house, the wind, the wave battered up against it. But that house was not destroyed because it was built upon a firm foundation. Then the Bible says, then there was a house that was built upon the sand. He said, the storm came and beat and battered against it, and that house was blown away. It was destroyed. It was demolished. Why? Because it did not have a firm foundation. Now, it's interesting to me that both of these houses looked alike. Both of these houses from the outside looked the same. But the way that you could delineate the difference between them is when the storm had come. And I want you to know something. You can tell who a person serves by how they react when the storms of life come in their life. 
Us who follow Jesus, we may experience pain. We may shed a tear or two. We may go through some hardships. But at the end of the day, we're still standing because our life is built on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. But those that don't know him, those that have no hope, those whose hope is in their stocks, those whose hope is in their job, those whose hope is in their relationship and their equities and things of that nature, when the storm comes, and it will come, and they begin to be experienced, Experiencing the, the heartaches and sorrows of life, they crumble because they don't have an anchor to hold their soul onto. But I'm so glad we have the anchor of the Word of God today that gives us hope that by great and exceeding precious promises that we have uh, be able to partake of the divine nature. I'm so happy today that we have the anchor of God's unshakable Word in our life. Let the Word of God be the solid rock that provides stability and assurance in the midst of life's trials, fourth and last. We need to overcome our spiritual battles with Scripture. Now I want to give you some practical things today as we get ready to wind this up. Not if the fight comes, when the fight comes. We need to realize we have an adversary who seeks to discourage us and ultimately to destroy us. But when we come at him, we must come at him with the word of God. The word of God. You can't fight with a sword you don't have. Some of you need to get in this Bible. You need to read it. You need to find out what God has said to us. You need to see what his promises are to us so that when the rain comes, you're able to fight against the adversary. Spiritual battles. See, Jesus was in the wilderness. He was tempted. He was tempted. In the flesh, he was hungry. Turn this stone to bread. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Perhaps you're in this room today. You're living for Jesus. Your temptation may be different than Jesus. Maybe, maybe you're searching for a spouse. You may be a man or a woman, and maybe you're searching for a spouse and, and you're believing God for a spouse and you're asking God to send you that wife or that husband and, and you know, you're weary of waiting and, and you're trying to, to, to figure out what to do and, and, and Satan comes and he tempts you. He puts one in front of you. He puts one in front of you that looks good, sounds good, but it's a trap because they're not on the same page spiritually as you. See, if you know the word, you can say, uh-uh, Satan. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For God said, what fellowship has light with darkness or the kingdom of God with the kingdom of Belial? Get behind me, Satan. Or maybe, maybe the enemy comes and he tries to tempt you in some area of your life. Your marriage, maybe. 
all of a sudden you can rise up against the adversary and say, uh-uh, devil, for it is written what God has put together. Let no man separate. Or maybe the enemy comes and he strikes one of your children with disease. And the lying devil comes and he says, I'm going to take your children away. This disease is going to kill them. You can take the word of God and say, ah, devil, the seed of the righteous is blessed. Ah, devil, for it is written, he bore our sins and our infirmities on the cross, and by his stripes we are healed. Ah, devil, ah, devil, for it is written, they shall lay their hands on the sick, and they shall recover. You see, you got to know how to fight in the day of adversity with the armor that God has called you to. Again, not if the trouble comes, when the trouble comes. Some of you have just come out of trouble. Don't get too comfortable. Don't get too comfortable. Some of you are in the middle of it right now. And others of you are staring it right in the face. God's with you. His word is present. He's giving you the tools to rebuke it and to stand firm in the middle of adversity. I want everybody to stand up on your feet this morning.